morning, everybody. Great to be with you again today. Slight change to schedule. Um, Ricky was supposed to be here this morning, but he'll be back next week. So you just got to put up with this, and we'll be back in action next week. So it's great to see you. Great to see you in church this morning, and we're looking forward to, to the morning that's ahead. It's going to be a little bit different. And before we go, let's just pray to the Lord. Father God, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your blessing always. And we just pray, Father God, that this time will be a blessing to each and every one of us here this morning. And that your word will be an encouragement to us. It will drive us on. It will bring us to, to a place that we never expected to be, Father God. Someplace new, someplace stronger, someplace better than where we were yesterday or the day before. And we ask you, Lord God, just open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. Open our eyes to, to show us what you're, where you want to lead us, Father God. And be with us this morning. Encourage us and strengthen us through what's about to take place over the next 30 or 40 minutes. In Jesus' name, we ask you, Father. Amen. So, we're just, um, as we've seen since we've begun the book of Colossians, we want to focus our attention on one main theme in this whole book. And that runs from Colossians 1 right through to the end of chapter 4. And as John Moriarty excellently guided us through last week, that theme is all of Christ for all of life. Now, this Sunday is going to be a little bit different because we're going to do it through some testimony as well. And so hopefully with the latest government announcement that restrictions are beginning to come to an end, so too will our separation from one another within the church setting come to an end. And we can get back to a place where we once were and once again get together, strengthen and encourage one another build one another up in Christ. You know, Paul spoke in verse 5 of chapter 2 that we've just read here this morning of being absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And hasn't it felt a little bit like that over these past two years when for one reason or another we haven't been able to connect with one another physically, but we've been connecting through online rather than in person or through Zoom that we all now want to put through a window and stamp on us until we can never again remember its name. But that's the way it's been. And, and you know, thank God for modern technology in some ways that we can, we, can, we can do that. And throughout this morning's reading from Colossians, Paul expresses his delight through his suffering for the believers as he presents Christ and the salvation that's to be had by all that believe. He tells us that this was his commission that God gave him and to be a continuous sacrifice throughout his life by presenting Christ to all, both those who believe and those who won't believe. You see, Paul knew who he was when he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a faithful saying and one worthy of all acceptance, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. You see, Paul knew when he came, where he came from, and he knew the sinful ways in which he lived before encountering Christ in what was that incredible transformation after meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus. And that story is one of great encouragement to all believers because it shows us that basically, as we say here in Ireland, where there's life, there's hope. 
If someone like Paul can be changed despite his desire to spill Christian blood, blood of those that God loved and cherished, if, if, if he can still be spared, well, then maybe there's also hope for us too. Well, we know now that not only is there hope of salvation, but there's an assurance of it. And it doesn't really matter what part of the world you come from, what your home circumstances are, how intelligent you are, whether you're long or tall or short, or it doesn't really make any difference. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10 tells us. And he doesn't care where you come from or what you look like. He just loves you deeply and he wants you. He has that great desire for each and every one of us here this morning. He just wants us. And when you're on his team, well then, he then wants you to share the good news and encourage one another and build each other up by sharing this news. As we read just previously again in Colossians 1.27, he says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glories glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, each and every one of you, the hope of glory. So that's what you are in his eyes this morning. Don't forget that. So this morning we're going to hear from two of our church family. They're going to bring us through their lives. They're going to share with you some stuff that led them towards the Lord. It's a brave thing to do because some things we might not want to share and maybe it's just a lot easier to sit back and let someone else do it. But in fairness to both these people, the minute we asked them if they would be willing to share their stories with you this morning, for your encouragement and for your building up to show you that there's always hope and how God has transformed their lives through faith in Christ and how so many barriers have been broken down by him for their growth and his glory. Because I have a strong feeling in my spirit that the Lord is going to use this time to touch and speak to an awful lot of us here today. A lot of us are feeling like muck. A lot of us are feeling like rubbish and that there's nothing good in us. Listening to the whispers of Satan as he mocks and derides you and he does his best to pin you down and put his foot on your throat as you lie in a pit of self-loathing and judgment. So open your ears this morning, church. And continue to pray as you listen to the testimonies. I want you to pray that the Lord is going to touch you. That he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you eyes to see the glory of God. And your value in his eyes. Not your own eyes. It has been said in relation to Christian testimony that. Your story is the key that can unlock someone else's prison. Only God can turn someone's mess into a message. A test into a testimony. A trial into a triumph, and a victim into a victor. 1 John 5.10 states, The one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within them. And for anyone here this morning who doesn't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, folks, and listen to the stories, and keep just, just pray to God to show you who he is. And without further ado... I'd like you to give a warm welcome to one of our church members, please. And the first gentleman up is going to be Toby Bash. Go get him, Toby. 
So, hi everyone. I'm not a conventional preacher, so I like to take off the mic and just, um, just stand here. Um, I'm so um, grateful for the opportunity to share my testimony. Um, thanks, thanks guys for giving me the privilege um, to share. And I think I have 15 minutes to share. Uh, yeah, that's 10, 10 minutes, <laughs> so I don't go beyond my time. Um, just before I share, I'll just give a, I hope that what I share, um, my goal, um, while I prayed this morning about it, when I was told to share, I was very excited, to be honest. Uh, and then when I was praying this morning, I felt the Lord saying to me that it's not about you. Um, so don't get too excited. So I hope that when I share my testimony that you will not see me, that you will see Christ and you see the power of him to be able to save, to deliver, and then you will see his love as well. And then secondly, my hope is that you will see the power of prayer, um, because prayer has worked a lot for me as well while I share. And if you ask me why I am arrogant, I know a lot of Irish people are very modest. Irish were very modest. But there's a bit of arrogance about me, because you know, Romans 1.16 says that um, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to save unto salvation to them that believe. And that's why I'm arrogant about the gospel. I'm always happy about the gospel. So I'll start by sharing. Um, uh, first of all, I come from a family. I come from Nigeria, basically, which is a country in Africa. By the way, there are 54 countries in Africa. So sometimes you group all of us into one Africa, Africa, <laughs> or 54 countries. I'm Nigerian. Um, so I'm from Nigeria, um, west, west of Africa, um, the most populous black, black country a beautiful country, um, and um, I come from my parents. My, I, I have seven siblings. Um, I'm the fourth, the first boy and the fourth born. I have um, four sisters, three older ones and one younger ones. And um, also, um, my dad is an engineer, my mom a businesswoman. So I come from this very strict Christian background. My dad, actually, my dad was a Muslim. My mom was a pagan. My mom found Christ because um, she was looking for a child. Um, and during the time of my mom, you would imagine there was no IVF, there was no fertility treatment. So she stumbled on Christ because that was the only hope she had. She'd waited for God. She's waited for five years, tried different things to have a baby, and she couldn't. And then through the trust of Christ, she was able to get a child, her first child, through faith. And because of that, that became a conviction for her that God was real. And in our only two way, um, she brought us up in the way of the Lord. I remember the mornings, 6 a.m., she wake us up in the morning and asked us to come for devotion. I never liked it um, because it was too early. But then that formed the image of God inside of my head of what God was because she would wake us every morning to pray. And by the way, she still does that. And um, I used to remember the mornings. My dad was a Muslim, stayed away from all of that. And I used to be very confused about... You know, my dad is Muslim, my mom is Christian. So when I was sent off to Bodin House, I chose the Islamic way and decided to go the Muslim. I said, no, you know, my dad is a Muslim, so I'll go that way. And then that's why I started the direction of, you know, practicing Islam. I'll be, sometimes I was confused. Sometimes you see me in church and then I'm back to, to the mosque again. Um, and that was my life, really. And because of the strict background that I, that I was, when I was 10, I was, I was abused, sexually abused by two uncles and then a neighbor as well. And I think after that event, it kind of skewed my childhood. Um, I became very rebellious, very stubborn. And I used to remember that I would struggle with pictures of naked people in my eyes. Like there was this lust that was just, I, I, I didn't know where it came from as a child, but I did struggle with all these things and I didn't know why I was so rebellious. 
I was so rebellious, I would stay away, I became introverted. Um, and because my dad was a successful entrepreneur, he was never around to have a conversation with. And my mom, all she knew was the Bible, and, she, and I could never have the conversation with them. So I remember when I got admission into the university, um, I was so excited because finally I'm gonna leave my strict parents. Just by the way, um, I know people think, when they think about Africa, you see the charities, they put faces of people crying and stuff like that. That's really not the story, that's a single story. So there is university in Africa, there's university in Nigeria. People go to school, people get jobs. Um, so I got, a, I got into university um, and was so far away from my parents, about um, eight hours drive away from my parents, and that was intentional. I wanted to be far away from everybody because I felt like there was a lot of rebellion in me that I needed to express. Um, and I thought that that would give me the opportunity. I'd gotten into gambling, I'd gotten into pornography, um, <clears throat> just watching pornography, and I was thinking, well, finally I'll get the chance to practice what I watch, and just staying away from my parents. And I remember I got into college, and the roommates that I had, they were all Christians. I didn't know God was setting me up. And they were all Christians. And they would wake me up in the morning, like my mom wakes me up and says, do you mind coming for devotion? I'm like, not again. Why am I here? <laughs> but like I was a fresher in school. These guys were older. They were in the third, fourth year in university. So I thought, okay. So I just went along with them. And then one of the days they said to me, Toby, the next morning you're taking the devotion, you'll be leading the Bible study. I've never read my Bible before this time. So I went to the classroom. I took the Bible and I started making notes of what I, what I was gonna say because I had no idea. So I took the note and I, I took the note. Just please let me know what, when the time is right because I, I lost track. And I wrote the notes down and I, I went to the devotion and I literally just read it out to them. So, but they kept encouraging me um, to go for, for, to come for devotion. They invited me to fellowship. Okay, no problem, I went for fellowship. This is me planning to go for parties now, but now I'm ending up in fellowship, so I went for fellowship. So one of the weeks towards my exams, I fell very ill, and so I could not prepare for exams. And I had an auntie that stays about three hours away from where I was taught in my school, so she called me to come over, and I was there taking treatment. A few days to the exams, so I was confused. Am I gonna fail? So then I remembered what my friends had been teaching in devotions and my mom, so I knelt down and said, God, if you're really real, I'm stuck, I need to do my exams, I don't know what to do. Would you show yourself to me by healing me of this sickness? And then I didn't know when I fell asleep. And then I woke up, I was totally healed. I was no longer sick. So I was curious, thank you, thank you. So I was curious to know, how did that happen? Is this really true? Is this really real? So I went back to school with that question and curiosity in my mind. And I don't know, I came across a book called God Chasers by Tom Tenney in the US as a pastor. And I started to read the book, and then that became, I became obsessed with my Bible, started to read the Bible. And then something said to me, why don't you wake up like in the morning your mom used to do and just go pray? And then I, that's how I was praying. One of the mornings I received the baptism on the Holy Ghost, and I started speaking tongues just by myself. I didn't know what was going on with me. I was just attending church. I forgot about all the plans to go for parties. So one of the days I went back home for holidays. And when I was home, my mom was doing the devotion, and she asked me to speak. When I finished speaking, she was crying because she could not believe that the boy she sent is a different boy by, by the time he came back home. I was a changed man, and Jesus literally transformed me um, from 
from all the struggles, all the thoughts, all the trauma of the abuse. I didn't even know when that went away. Like the pictures that I used to struggle with, uh, nakedness and stuff, just went away. I don't know how he did it. I didn't even have to pray about it. I just continued just to chase him and to pursue him. And just for in case there's anybody here who's gone through any of those abuses or trauma, is that Jesus can heal. Jesus is the answer. He's able to deliver you to the uttermost. And, and I just wanted you to know that. And, and where I am with my journey, um, and I obviously I met my beautiful wife. Um, by the way, I used to be a sailor. Um, that's what I studied to become. Um, but I met my beautiful wife, and she took me off the career. And so um, I moved to Ireland. And I know that I am not, I'm, I'm not an immigrant. I'm a missionary um, that God sent to Ireland. And, and I know why I, why I met my beautiful wife. And we came um, in Ireland here. And part of the things that God has taken us through in our journey is that in the first four years of our marriage, um, we, we lost four babies. I think four babies, yeah. We lost four babies in the, in the first two years, I think, first three years of our marriage. We lost four babies, and it was very traumatic because the last baby, we had to bury the baby. And I, and I remember being at the funeral, and I was saying to God, that why, would, why would we be here um, having to bury our own, our own child? And I said, this should never happen. Um, so it was a difficult phase for us, very difficult period, but it drew us to prayer. Um, we started to pray a lot, spend time with the Lord, and started to pray. And it's interesting because by, um, I, by privilege, the Lord would always show me my children before I have them. I would always see them in a dream for some reasons. God would always show me uh, the babies. So when we're going to have Della... Um, God showed me the baby in the dream, and I saw the name and gave me the name of the, of the daughter. And we didn't know, we were worried that we were going to lose the baby because the doctors had told Mercy that our womb was unable to hold the baby at the time. But we trusted in the Lord, um, and the doctors eventually were saying, okay, there is a procedure that could be done to help her keep the baby. That was done during that period. We had Della, um, which means life giver. Della is a life giver. That's, that's the meaning of the word, because God told us he was going to give us life. And then when we were going to have Jethro, um, and I round up, as we were going to have Jethro, we were worried that we were going to go through the same process again of having to wait, worry, we're going to lose the baby. And so we just were praying. And the Lord gave us a word um, about the baby. And when we got to the doctors, the doctors were saying to Mercy, do you, you have to, um, the doctors was actually, it was a big thing. They said, we, we, know, we already know your situation, so we have to stitch you in already. Go do the surgery, get you stitched up so you don't lose the baby. But we stood in faith and said, we don't want to. We don't feel like the Lord is leading us to do this time around. And the doctors were like, okay, we'll see. If you lose the baby, then it's not our fault. And we went through the 18 weeks, the 19 weeks, the 20, 21, 22, 23. And there was no need. The doctors were surprised themselves that how is it possible? But because we knew God had already spoken and God is able to heal, God is able to deliver, that is how we had the, the, the second baby. And God was to be praised in the end of the day. And then when we went to the hospital and the baby was to, to be delivered, I remember the Lord had told me that I would be in the labor. It was during COVID. The husbands are not allowed into the labor room. But the Lord had told me I was going to be in labor. So I said to Mercy, God said I'm going to be in the labor room. She said, didn't you hear the story? People, husbands are not allowed into the labor room. I said, I don't know about, like, I just know that I'm going to be there. You know, Jesus has said, he knew. There's a knowing, you just know. Um, so I said, no problem. So on the day when she was going to go for labor, I drove her to the, to the, um, to the hospital, and I, was, I packed my bags, and I was going with her like I, like I knew I was going to go through. And the lady stopped me and said, sorry, we don't allow the husbands, so you have to go back home. 
So I was sad. So I went back to the car park and I said, I'm going to sleep in the car park today. I'm not going anywhere because God said I'm going to be there. But Mercy called me and told me, Toby, would you go home and come back tomorrow? So I went back home. So I woke up in the morning just to pray. I don't know, I had the hush to pray for her. And then I woke up in the morning. While I was praying, she called me and said, the nurse said that you can come in for the labor. So I drove back to the hospital and that's how I ended up in the labor room. And with her, even before she started the labor process, and we started to pray. I don't know why the Lord wanted us to pray, but after praying for a couple of hours, then we knew why. When we delivered um, Jethro, the, um, the, the placenta yeah, was in a position where it could have killed the baby. And we didn't know why God was asking us to pray. And the, the nurse said she was very, he was very lucky, but I knew he wasn't lucky. I knew it was because God answered the prayers. And so I was so grateful to God for what he's done for us and how he's able to, and God is still doing those things. And that's, that's probably my testimony for everybody, is that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And God is still doing, he's willing to do, he's able to do more. And I hope my testimony has blessed you. God bless you. Great job, Toby. Thank you very much. But isn't it great, folks, to get a chance just to get to know our own a little bit more because we're here from one Sunday to the next, from one end of the year to the next. And some people we just don't know. But now we start to know Toby a little bit better and hopefully this is the way it's going to keep going. We're going to gel and we're going to get closer together as the year goes on and as we start interacting with each other a little bit more and becoming more of a family. That's what we want. And so without further ado again, our second testimony this morning is coming from Linda Omani, and she's going to come up now, so give her a warm welcome. Hi, guys. Wasn't that wonderful from Toby? It was so blessed. Um, I'm probably not as confident now as Toby, and um, it's been a long, long number of years since I've given my testimony. Um, but in, in some ways, um, my testimony is similar to, to Toby's, and that the Lord touched my heart and my life, and he turned it around completely. Um, when I was praying last night and this morning about um, what I was going to say, the scripture of um, Psalm 27, verse 10, kept coming into my mind. Though my father, my father and mother have forsaken me, the Lord will take me in. And um, can you all hear me? It was one of the very first scriptures that the Lord gave me. Um, and I suppose it served its purpose throughout my life in different, many different ways uh, and spoke to me in many different ways at different parts of my life. Um, unlike Toby, um, I came from down the road, 10 minute walk from here. <laughs> um, and I grew up in a Catholic home. Um, probably appeared normal to everybody else, but my father was an alcoholic, um, a really bad alcoholic. And I spent lots of my time in the evening going to the pub to try and bring him home. 
to have his dinner and I suppose before he got too drunk and too violent and that's a lot of my memories since I was a child, you know. Um, but other than that, um, I suppose I was good at school. I loved school. Um, I was popular. I was good at sports. I was good at art. Um, I was a bit of a tomboy. And at that time, this was like the 80, 1980, I suppose. And in the 80s, there was no such thing as about girls' soccer teams or anything like that. Um, so I befriended this soccer coach who, who ran this, um, I suppose, this whole team of different age, but all boys. But um, I befriended him hoping that he would um, start a girls' team at some stage, because that was like my passion at the time. Um, what actually happened was that man abused me sexually and in every possible way. Um, I was 12 years old the first day it happened. And I suppose what happened to me that day was that he completely broke me. Um, my life changed completely. Um, I couldn't cope with school. I couldn't cope with people. I got angry. I started rebelling. I started drinking using drugs, um, and things were very, very bad for a long number of years because that abuse didn't stop there. That abuse continued for five years. Um, that abuse also led to other abuses because if anybody knows anything about abuse or anything like that, you're just vulnerable and open to other people abusing you. So it just went from one abusive thing to another abusive thing to abusive relationships, um, unwanted pregnancies, um, like you name it, it, it just happened. And all the while I, I struggled so much. I was in so much pain. Um, I didn't know why I was here on this earth. I definitely didn't believe in God because how could there be a God when this stuff happened? Um, and I was feeling the way I was feeling. Um, and then, um, I suppose I got, I, got, I got married, that marriage broke down, and after that marriage was short-lived, um, I met somebody who had just became a Christian, and I thought that they were, <laughs> I thought that they were crazy, because they were talking about, you know, Jesus and Jesus Christ could set me free, and that person actually is my husband now, and if anybody knows him, you know what he's like, okay? So his whole life from the time he gets up in the morning, he goes to bed at night is Jesus loves us, you know? And Jesus is here for you. And I have seen, no, I can't believe that. And, and actually, he brought me to church and, and God just touched me. He just touched me. And he like, he completely healed me. He completely, he took away... <laughs> He, he just took away all that pain and that hurt, and he gave me he gave me a hope for the future. And that was one of the first scriptures, actually, with that that pastor at that church, like within the first couple of days of of being saved. And that scripture was actually was said to me, you know, because and that's how I felt because um, in the midst of all those years, like I had become such a horrible person and hard and unlovable, I suppose, really, in lots of ways. 
um, that I had kind of rejected all my family. Nobody wanted anything to do with me. Um, and then, and slowly but surely, that all started to change, you know. Um, I suppose what I see myself as now is like the world will tell me that I'm a victim and that I'll have to live with this for the rest of my life. And all the counsellors and stuff that I went through over the years, this is what they taught me, that I just have to learn to live with it. But the Lord has made me a survivor and a victor, as Mark said a while ago. You know, we're victorious in that. And then not only that does the Lord, but he flipped all that completely around. And he put on my heart about fostering. And it's like, how is this going to be possible? You know, because we were so broken. But I knew it was right. When, when after a couple of months of being saved, I had a dream one night. And in the dream... I was surrounded by all these kids, and the kids were calling me mom. And I thought, this is it. I'm supposed to become a missionary or something and go off to China or somewhere. And, you know, and in the meantime, I had my own two kids because Tara and Kian were, were, you know, young at the time. And I'm saying, like, how's that going to be or whatever? Anyway, you know, I, I knew it was from God because that dream stayed with me. It's still with me to today still there it's like as if it only happened last night um so um you know i felt that we needed to as time went on um i suppose i'm getting a bit lost now but confused okay i'll go back again right so that was the dream at the time um because i was already married even though we were heading for divorce we had to wait for um i don't know three or four years or something like that before myself and thomas could get married um, in the meantime, we had Erin, and uh, she was born. And when she was one, we were able to get married. We finally got divorced, and we got married. So I thought that finally everything is right in my life. I have a man who loves me. I'm saved. The Lord loves me. He's with me. He's going to make everything right. And then I had a miscarriage. And then almost a year later, I had another miscarriage. And this time I lost twins. And that totally broke me then again. So then it came back again to the fostering. And like, we didn't think it was possible because Thomas has previous convictions and like it's two A4 pages long. So it's not as if they're like one. And I said, like, I know you're a miracle working God because he had worked so many miracles in our lives already. But, like, this really had to be a miracle. And actually, on the first we applied, and on the first, the first person, the first um, team leader, I think, actually refused us. And then the, there was some other, um, there was a job change, and there was somebody else came in, and we got a phone call to say that we were actually passed. And it was just amazing. This person felt that Thomas felt. <laughs> this person felt that Thomas and me had so much to give because of our past to these children. And that's why, again, I go back to the scripture about though your mother and father forsake you. So these children that have came into our lives, um, they may have been forsaken in some way, shape or form, but the Lord put us there for them. And it's still that way to this day. 
like I had three babies came out of my body and I had six that I that didn't but they're all mine and the Lord has given them to us and we love them and we'll continue to do what the Lord is doing. Follow that. Amazing, isn't it? You know, the power of testimony in amongst us this morning, like our own brothers and sisters, and they're just sharing their lives with us, and it's, it's so encouraging. It really is so encouraging. And just thanks so much, folks, because you're after bearing all for our benefit. Um, and we can just see from your brokenness, like, you know, the perfection of God's salvation for each and every one of us. And it's, it's just so great to see it. And it just encourages us and it drives us on. Now we know from Paul's letter that he wasn't physically present with the church in Colossus. But the reports he was getting from there were very positive and a great source of joy and comfort to him while he was in prison. And these reports encouraged Paul to keep going on with the commission that God had set before him. And it's just like us this morning getting these reports from, from our brothers and sisters here. It just, it just drives you on a little bit more. And Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, 2 to 4 in, um, the, in Colossians, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. It's not up there, folks, is it? No, okay. Not to worry. Um, I thought it was going to be up to this. I just can't see it. That's all right. I need stronger glasses. So look at what Paul's purpose was. It's for us as a body to be encouraged in heart and united in love as a result of knowing, trusting, and living a Christ-centered life because Paul wanted all of the church to have and to hold onto one fact. And that was all of Christ for all of life. Now, their testimonies that we are just after hearing have been fantastic. We have an agreement here on that across the house. And I really pray that you're encouraged by them because we need encouragement for the days ahead. We need to be united as one body. We need to be prepared to account for who gives us this great hope and be willing to share it with those in such great need. I'm telling you here and now that the time is here when we have got to start declaring the power of God in us and through us as a result of the greatness of Jesus. There's nothing good in me, absolutely nothing, or you, except the power of God through Jesus in you, your faith. And you've got to grasp that this morning, that we are not the same as we were the day before we knew Christ. We're different. You mightn't feel it, you mightn't think it, but you are, because he said you are. And as a born-again believer, trusting in Jesus Christ, there is a spirit within you now, empowering you on to do good in his name. Laying hands on an anointing sick, praying for and trusting him to heal, restore and to save. But we say, he won't hear me. I'm still in sin. I don't deserve an answer to my prayers because I'm not good enough. And I say to you this morning, enough. Stop this. Do you remember when the Egyptians were led out of Egypt? Or sorry, they weren't. 
the, the Israelites were led out of Egypt. <laughs> Better again. <laughs> well, the night before, the blood of the lamb was, poured, was, was um, splashed on the, on the doors. And you know, every one of the Israelites walked out of Egypt. Not just some of them. And I've no doubt in those hundreds of thousands of people, or however many there was, a lot of them had sin in their lives. And I've no doubt that this hadn't gone right or they hadn't done this, or maybe the night before they had a jar of too, too much of wine and they were a bit groggy after it. But they still walked out. So the blood wasn't only for those who hadn't sinned the day before and were in good grace of God. It was for everyone, every one of the Israelites, because the blood covered each and every one of them. And God can deal with their sin when he's going to deal with their sin. But as for a tag, you're a Christian. You're a son or a daughter of God. You're a child of God as a result of the death of Christ. And nothing's ever going to change that. So remember that. Put it into your head and keep it there because it's important. And don't let sin dump you down. You must get those pit of hell thoughts out of your head now and start living in his power. Away with those thoughts. Start listening to what he says about you. I mean, didn't he purchase your soul with the blood of his own precious, sinless son? Isn't that enough proof for us? Isn't it high time we started believing that by God I'm born again and Christ lives in me? You're ambassadors of the great King, Jesus Christ, and it is in him that said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and all authority is given to me from heaven. So just go and start pouring it out. Pour it out in faith, trusting the same Savior as you watch and see the great things that he's going to do through you. If it's to be a prayer of healing, he'll heal. If it's to be a word of encouragement, he'll make your words blossom. Whatever it is, he'll do it through you. If only you'd really believe in him. If you'd stop holding back. This world is disintegrating before your very eyes right now. And we need to stop holding back. We have to start pouring out. What God has put in you needs to be left out in faith. John 7, 38 said, <clears throat> Jesus has said that whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. People are waiting on salvation to come. They're living in sadness. They're living in darkness. And they're not knowing how to draw another breath. And these people could be your own neighbors. They could be your own family members. And we all have some. And guess what, folks? They're waiting on us because we have the answers that no other folk have. You have the seekers of eternity. You have the river of living water. You have Christ. I reckon that God is going to do something in this generation that will be so incredible that it will grab world attention like never before. We've gone through a tough time these past couple of years, and we've lost loved ones, and we've seen people pull away from the church, feeling alone and isolated. Throughout the world, the church world, it's, it's, it's the same all over. But I believe God is going to do something incredible in the very near future, and I believe that he's going to unite and strengthen his church for one last great push to bring people to Christ before it's too late. God is coming and Christ is coming. Judgment is coming. But as believers on the Lord, we have the anointing on us to preach the gospel, to comfort the broken, to heal the sick. The good news of 2,000 years ago is the exact same as the good news of today. It's simple and it's perfect. It's Christ and Christ alone. 
And everyone who believes, everyone who believes is empowered by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to go forth and to preach the good news and to do good works in his name. Don't let yourself have any regrets. There's no need to be looking at the well-groomed, well-spoken professional pastors or the tele-evangelists to show you how to do it. Let me tell you something this morning. You have more to offer than these guys in truth and sincerity. The same Jesus that lives in any great preacher that ever lived, and I'm including the apostles in all this, lives in you. He hasn't changed one iota. He's still the same, yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. You're anointed to declare hope to the depressed. You're anointed to declare comfort to the brokenhearted. And you're anointed to open the prison doors and lead people to freedom. There are so many people looking to be free, but they don't know how to get through that door. The door is law, and it's impossible to get through. Laws bind you up. You know how to open that door, folks. You have the answer. Open it for them and lead them out. It's about time that we brought an abundance of grace back into church and back into our own lives. Grace allows us to live in freedom and gives us the awareness and the ability to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live the lives that we're supposed to live. Sometimes it feels like I've taken grace out of my life and now I'm saying this morning to myself that I want it back. On the day that I became a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Toby and Linda, I was given a great gift and an incredible anointing to bring the hope and comfort and joy and healing and help to all who need it. And that anointing is still upon me today and is still upon you. But some of us have just stopped using it and we're starting after crawling back into our boxes because we feel we don't deserve it and we're not good enough to declare the goodness and mercy of Jesus. But let today be a day of change for us. There's no judgment here across the board this morning. Absolutely none. It's just a fresh start. Wouldn't it be nice just to get a fresh start and get a new run at 2022 and drive on again? Look again at what Paul's, what Paul's calling was in Colossians 1, uh, 25 to 27. I'll just read it briefly, folks. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is our calling. We are the saints. It's been passed on to us. Now let's pass it on to them. Dust yourself off. Rededicate your life to God right now. There's already been a fallen away, as I say. And I believe there's a great persecution on the horizon of this church. We've been well warned of it. And all the signs lead to it. That there's a great shaking coming. And it's, going, it's, it's, it's not too far away. We need to be prepared to give an account of our faith and we need to be ready right now. We need to get right with God and finish this race. Anyone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus and wants to know, take the step. Let us know. Come forward. We'll pray with you. 
Anyone who feels like their faith has taken a hammering and wants to be revived, let us know so we can pray with you. We're in this together. Isn't that the great quote of, of COVID? We're in this together. Well, let me tell you guys, whether you like us or not, we're in this together. There's no shame in asking for help, but it'd be a great shame for anyone to miss out on what the Lord has in store for those who love him. So the guys are going to come and we're going to have a few more worship songs in a second. And I just, uh, I just hope and pray that, that, that you, you'll take this word and you'll take the, the, the two testimonies and you'll juggle them through and consider them as you're praying. And if you want to handle anything, if you want to pray about anything, just let us know and we'd, we'd be more than happy to, to, to pray with you. If you want to know Jesus, let us know. We'd be more than happy to, to, to lead you. And so the final quote, because you know me, I love quotes and I love particular quotes. And my final quote has to come from the very famous, not Spurgeon or one of them, it's, his name is Caleb Lane. And it's true, uh, um, a poem he wrote in relation to, or a song, The Crimson Sap. And the final quote is this, so that every time I would look upon his affliction, I would see a depiction of God's wrath, which should have been poured out on me, but instead was inflicted upon the one who died on the tree. We've been freed. Let's make the most of our freedom. Thank you very much.